0: Afternoon, I'm T Hetzel. You're listening to Living Writers on WCBN, and today I'm so excited to have in the studio um, Simon Armitage. Simon, welcome to Living Writers. Hi. And and Ann Arbor.
1: Yep, and the Smiths. <laughs>
0: and the Smiths. Were you expecting
1: me to jump up on the table and fling some gladiolis around there? <laughs> exactly. Produce them from my back pocket. And- <laughs>
0: Become shirtless and yeah, yeah. and also with the um using the mic line. Yeah, really exactly. Twenty
1: five years ago, maybe.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, we'll get we'll get to your music. You you've got a musical career. There could be. Uh,
1: I don't know about a career. <laughs> Some interest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you've got a musical interest. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, well, Simon is uh, is in town here. He's going to be actually reading. If you're listening now, um, we're going. It's going to be a, a, a strange living writers in a way because we have Simon for the first half hour, and then we're going to head over to uh, Rackham, uh, the amphitheater, where Simon will read at five o'clock. Uh, Will you be reading from your, your latest book uh, I will, that's yeah. out in the States? Simon? Yeah,
1: some of that and uh, some, some other things as well. Some yeah. new work. Yep. And, oh, great. Yeah.
0: Okay. Maybe a song or two? Uh, no. no.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. But Simon's uh, Simon's book has just come out in the States with Knopf. It's Tyrannosaurus Rex versus the Corduroy Kid.
1: Snappy title. It's
0: great. I wore my cords in, <laughs> <You> <laughs> as, as sort of a she homage to your <laughs> <laughs> title. <laughs> yeah. Um, And so, but it was out, I noticed, in in Britain in 2006. So we're a bit behind
1: yeah there's a, there's always um, a bit of a sort of lag time um, you know between these things the, the, the conversation the poetic conversation between uh, the states and uh, and the uk is always a, a little bit behind in either direction but that's just a publishing thing really you know um, we, we have to wait six months to see your film so <laughs> you can wait three years to, to read my poems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: it seems like an even trick no it doesn't no um, and before I forget thanks to Alex Sergey for for engineering for us today and thanks to those listening here and maybe even in England I think some of the family in England is, is to my family uh, Simon's family I don't know if they know to, to tune in but um, anyway and so if you if you can't make it over to Rackham at five o'clock to hear Simon then we'll have the second half hour we will be Gary Snyder and um, and this is a conversation from last spring but it hasn't been aired yet so um, some. An exciting hour of poetry <laughs> that Simon kicks off. And to, to actually, uh, just to introduce you, Simon, a bit, I'm going to read the bio from the back of your book. Simon Armitage is the author of 11 previous books of poetry, including Zoom of Poetry Society Book Choice. He is also the author of two novels the best selling memoir, All Points North, and most recently, The Odyssey, a dramatic retelling of Homer's epic. He has received numerous awards for his poetry, including the Sunday Times Young Writer of the Year, a Forward Poetry Prize, and a Lannan Literary Award. In 2007, he published his highly acclaimed translation of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, he lives in West Yorkshire and is a senior lecturer at Manchester Metropolitan University. That's me. That's you. <laughs> exactly. And I'm sure there's even many more. I was saying that you're a Renaissance man. You do, And, and I just heard you also had a screenplay that did well at Sundance recently. Yeah, and, yeah. And then you've written poems that have been... Um, you have a political interest as well, because I, I saw on your website, um, simonarmitage.com, that... Um, a poem of yours was uh, for uh, HIV for for the AIDS awareness. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I've I've always thought with uh, with poetry that its its power and its range can extend further than just the printed page. You know, I, I've always thought that it has more uh, variety and, and and more option. And um, so, I've I've tried to put um, poetry to to good work outside um, just books. So. Uh, you know, in the theatre, um, I do a lot of writing for TV, but it's nearly always verse and poetry. Um, the thing that you were mentioning about HIV, I, I wrote a um, a cinema advertisement. Again, okay. uh, that's right. Yeah, uh, for uh, a campaign for UNICEF, uh, which is about um, introducing a, a, a drug uh, at the time of birth that stops uh, HIV being transmitted from uh mother to, to child and Gwyneth Paltrow uh, read that for us in the uh, in the clip I think that's still online actually and, and I've done it, i've it done is. other things like that as well yeah
0: and you also have a band the scare mongers
1: yeah that's right we're, we're about 18 months old we're we're, we're, <laughs> we're coming quite late at it um it's it's me and a mate really uh, we, we tried to get all this stuff together many many years ago and basically didn't have any equipment or, or talent uh, or, or, or design <laughs> (laughs) quite probably Um, but we've given it another go recently and uh, we're we're just having great fun there's seven of us now it's like every time I turn around there's another three or four have joined in Uh, but I, um, I write the lyrics and I sing so it's great. It's, it's, it's really exciting. We've been doing a few gigs this summer, and uh, we finished uh, recording an album now. We just got to mix that down.
0: Oh, that's, so that's exciting. So maybe you can come back when you have the album out. On and tour, we can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Detroit or Ann Arbor, it's got to be in your your, your hot spots yeah. to, to revisit. Yeah. Uh, well, um, so so then also on your website, you have... Um, uh you're having a conversation with someone that maybe from the BBC about the smiths so music seems to be something you're from the the manchester area from uh, b- so, so this is not surprising that you're also um, musically inclined, right? You've always been influenced. You've, you've deconstructed this charming man yeah, that's for right. BBC.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is still on the website. That I was talking to uh, Paul Morley. He's a, a music writer in the UK, and uh, we were actually there in a bar. That's in a, a great name, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> with uh, the with, with the drummer from the Smiths talking about the uh, talking about the lyrics. Um, yeah, I mean, I I, I wrote um, um, a memoir uh, which was published last year in Britain called Gig, The Life and Times of a Rockstar Fantasist and uh, in that I talk about how music's been just as important to me as writing. I've only been a writer really for the second half of my life but music's been around from from day one and uh, really it was about kind of 1978, 1979 when we sort of re-zeroed the musical clock in in, in our house. You know it was uh, the first Talking Heads album and Undertones and Joy Division and um, I I started all over again then really and I've never really stopped listening to that kind of music.
0: And so, is that what the scaremongers are? Well, we're going to hear a little. Hopefully, we'll hear a little clip oh, oh at the know. break. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> if we can get our technology to yeah. <laughs> fully fire it up. Um, and so, and you're also a Manchester United fan.
1: I am. Yeah, I've uh, actually, the, you know, as, as well as the, uh, you know, missing my family and everything when I'm when I'm away. The, the things that I really miss are music because uh, it's just it's just difficult to even with iPods and everything. I, I don't really like listening to music on headphones, uh, so I really miss. Just having music on in the background, and I, I realised last night that I was sort of craving a bit of uh, football or soccer, as you, as you have it. Um, so, hey, I call it football. <laughs>
2: um,
1: so I was, uh, I was, I was, I was watching a football game on the internet last night, like a sort of sad man in his hotel room. <laughs> you know those images that sort of move on after every ten seconds. No.
0: I don't. Th- I actually, I applaud you. I think that Manchester United needs your support now more than ever before, since they're low on
1: the table for the Premier League. I trip. think they. I think they need my support too. I. They. they probably don't realize it. But.
0: Well, season ticket holder, so you're there. Yeah. You were there as yeah. a, a present. The yeah. lads know it.
1: Yeah. Have you I,
0: ever uh, gone and like re- written a poem for Man United? <laughs>
1: no, I keep those things very separate. Actually, <laughs> yeah. When when I I, I I like being part of the uh, of the mob. At, uh, at, at, at the ground, I like I love that moment where you're walking towards a stadium and um, you sort of have to park the car about ten miles away and then start walking in and then suddenly there's a couple of you and then the next time there's a hundred and then suddenly you, you'll be in this throng of, uh, well, you know, 80,000 people and... Um, there's there's just something um it's almost sort of biblical that. Um I also like going to the games on my own. I like I like being an individual in, in this huge number of people. I can't quite explain it, to, 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 to myself or others and I, I like the I like the the theater of, uh, of football as well you know you know the characters uh, yes. but you don't know the outcome and uh, you also know uh, unlike a lot of bad plays how long it's going to last <laughs> <So>.
0: <laughs> that's true <Yeah. laughs> except for the old extra time thing sometimes but yeah not. <laughs> Oh, so Manchester United. Well, I'm glad we had a few words about that, and you've and you've chosen a little bit. Um, we were talking a little earlier about how you and your family have chosen to. To remain in that region, because mm. um, can you tell us uh, where where you were born? Uh, it was uh, yeah
1: yeah. Well, on the map, if you were to look on the map, uh, where we live is directly between uh, Leeds and Manchester. It's sort of equidistant between those two big cities, uh, but we're actually way up in the uh, in the Pennine Hills. I was born in a, a, a small village called Marsden, um, which is is an old sort of mill village uh, with weavers cottages and uh, and mills that used to do everything from sort of shearing the sheep right through to, to putting the buttons on the suits um, but I guess it's a sort of commuter village now but um, it's it's a beautiful place um, in the in the summer you can get up onto the moors and there's really nowhere like it in the world I don't think but it, it can be quite bleak in the winter but yeah we, we, we've chosen to stay there I mean I am a northerner um, you know, with, without choice or apology, really, it's um, it's part of I me. Mean, it's a big part of what I write about, and I've just realised over the years um, that I've become very comfortable there. Um, plus, it's not—I don't think it's sort of like the same in the states, saying that you know, maybe if you're from the south, you know, you're, you're very much not from New York, for example. But um, you know, in in the UK, I mean, even being in Leeds or Manchester, you can be in London in a couple of hours. You can be in Edinburgh in a couple of hours. So. In fact, it's one of the reasons why they say that there's there's no good uh, sort of British road movies because <laughs> cause you can be in Cardiff in two hours. So.
0: Right, over in Wales. <laughs> yeah, right, in so. another country. Yeah, just, there's
1: just not enough to go at. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that would be actually a great challenge. Maybe that might be one of your next projects, though. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Something that can't be done, the yeah. British road movie. <laughs> um, and so I, I also noticed on your website, Simon, that you have... Um, as a quote from the long, lifeless mud of the river Cone on there, yeah. why why do you have that as sort of also rooting? Or
1: well, I suppose um, it's a it's a statement of identity and upbringing and, and background, and there's maybe a, a slight sort of political tang to to that. Uh, comment that you know I, I, I come from you know an area that's um, not metropolitan. Um, I don't come from any kind of. I'm not from a family with any sort of literary pedigree or anything like that. So I I I, I suppose it's it, there's an element of sarcasm there that um, you know I, I've managed to get on with my writing despite <laughs> <laughs> dot dot dot.
0: Again, there is an ellipsis there. Is that
1: yeah? yeah. <laughs> I don't actually run my website. It's a mate who does it for me. In fact, it's the same guy that I'm in the band with. So. I'm not always sure what he's putting up there. Oh,
0: <laughs> so you must trust him, though. I trust that him. I trust
1: him with my. Uh, well, maybe not my life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or at least your your image. Yeah, with
1: somebody. my yeah, <laughs> with my technology. That's what I trust him. With.
0: Exactly. Um, so you said that you only started writing in in the the second half of your yep. life. That's, and yet. You know, you've read. You've you're so prolific, and you have so many books, and you've you've won so many awards. Um, so, <laughs> so when when did you decide? Because you were, you, were you one day you were a probation officer, and you said, you know, well, I've got this geography under my belt, but yeah. what? What next? What? Where's the meaning? Or what? How did you come to writing?
1: I, th- I think in the film version, that, that's what that, <laughs> that, that's what'll happen. You know, I'll be a probation officer one day, and the next day I'll, I'll wake up a poet. But um, in actual truth, uh, you know, these things were running in in parallel. I think what happened was that from about the age of fourteen, I was a reader. Um, a reader of poems. Not a reader of much else, but um, I started reading Ted Hughes at school, you know, the former British poet laureate. And um, it was really a kind of light bulb moment for me. The, the world suddenly seemed a really fascinating place. And, and
0: you I, said at 14? Yeah, Simon. well,
1: yeah, that's that's the age that you'd have to start studying uh, literature for your, uh, what used to be called your O-level exam to then go on to do A levels to then go on to, to get into university. Um, but, um
0: but it was a lightbulb moment. Yeah, it
1: just I—I yeah. I, I was a very disinterested and uninteresting student up to then. Um, but then suddenly, you know, the teacher brought these things into class, and they were compact pieces of language just little black marks on a white page but they seem to be able to produce such sort a of magic or or miracles and i you know I've, ne- I've never forgotten the power of language since then and since then i've always been a reader of poem poems i, I didn't study english at uh, university I, I took a geography degree and then i did a psychology ma uh, but i was reading all the time and it was really only later you know when i was Uh, 21 22 that um, I started actually dabbling uh, in the dark art of poetry Uh, and then uh, you know a year or so later when I started sending things out
0: and and that was and and what do you what was that light bulb moment when you said you started dabbling is it because it doesn't seem to me like you say that lightly but you don't seem like a dabbler to me
1: well, I'm not a dabbler anymore because I'm 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 now an obsessive and. Um,
0: but in everything, it would seem.
1: Yeah, I I think the thing with with well, I do all these things that you you talked about, but it all comes back to poetry. I mean, even even the the lyric writing uh, to some extent comes back to to poetry so um uh, you know even even though I I seem to be a sort of many tentacled octopus um you know but poetry is is at the centre of all that and um I, I it, it was really when I went back home after university, back, back to the north, and I wanted to carry on reading poems, but the, I didn't know who else was doing that around where I lived, and I started going to some writing workshops at the local university. It was more like a night school, really, but not with the idea of becoming a writer just because i wanted pointing in the right direction of other things to read and i wanted to share my um, enthusiasm for reading poetry with other people and,
0: and who, who besides ted hughes at that time then because yeah who were you
1: well i was reading uh, tom gunn who eventually uh, came to live in san francisco a, a British poet originally. Uh, I was reading a lot of Paul Muldoon, again, and a, well, a British, Irish poet uh, who now lives in America. But a big turning point for me was um, uh, I, I remember getting in the local bookshop uh, a copy of a, a, a Penguin Anthology of American Verse, edited by uh, somebody called Jeffrey Moore, who uh, you know I know nothing about. Big, thick, uh, sort of encyclopedia type book. Went right back to Anne Bradstreet and Emily Dickinson and up through Whitman and then into those American voices of the fifties and the sixties. Um, so as well as all the confessional stuff like Lowell and Bishop and um, Plath and Sexton, I was also reading people like uh, um, Rexroth. And um, I was reading Shapiro and Weldon Keys and Randall Jarrell and, and people like that. And I, I just found in all those poets um, a living voice you know a speaking voice uh, that i wasn't hearing in some contemporary british poets at the time and that's always been my thing I've, I've i'm i'm really only interested in poetry that sounds like a voice um on the page not necessarily a monologue but the voice of a living person speaking to me a character of some type i'm 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 not interested in poetry that that looks like writing or i, I and the poetry that i really dislike is poetry that that looks like thinking
0: Mm. Yeah, I I can see that. That yeah. Well, you but I mean a that,
1: that 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 voice thing can encompass anything. You know, it can encompass. It can encompass. Uh, I mean, Ashbury to me is a speaking voice. yes uh, It's 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 a it's 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 a voice that talks to me off the page.
0: In pieces, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. In pieces.
1: In fragments. Yeah. Yeah. yeah not, not.
0: And he's and he's also blurbed the or there's a quote from him on the back of your book.
1: Yeah. And James Tate. Yeah. Tate Tate uh, is a, is a, is a great hero of mine. Um, Me too. There's a particular book um that I would recommend to anybody called um, Return to the City of the White Donkey which I just absolutely love. And I I met um James in Jerusalem uh 20 years ago. Um just a complete coincidence. And uh we've sort of been in touch since then, but um his his um his poetic is something that's uh interested me and uh, and charles simic as well it's Mm. another writer who i've followed
0: What and and James Tate? You've known him for twenty years, then.
1: Well, it must be getting on for twenty years now. Um, yes. And I, I've, yeah, I've I've been uh, been over a few times to to Amherst to to read from him uh, for him and to do various conferences, and we've corresponded a, a little bit. It's kind of a lopsided relationship, you know, because I am in awe of what what uh, what he does. But um, yeah, certain poems of his and that particular book are. Um, are big things for me. Uh,
0: well, will you read us a poem, Simon? Would you yeah, mind? I will.
1: That would be great. This is a very un-James Tate poem <laughs> I right know that we've said that. Uh, it's called The Clown Punk, and um, it's about a guy that I still see knocking around uh, Huddersfield, which is uh, the nearest town to me, who's uh, just completely covered in ink. The Clown Punk. Driving home through the shonky side of town... Three times out of ten you'll see the town clown, like a basket of washing that got up and walked, towing a dog on a rope. But don't laugh, every pixel of that man's skin is shot through with indelible ink. As he steps out at the traffic lights, think what he'll look like in thirty years' time. The deflated face and shrunken scalp still daubed with the sad tattoos of high-punk You kids in the back seat who wince and scream When he slathers his daft mush on the windscreen Remember the clown punk with his dyed brain Then picture windscreen wipers and let it rain It was a sonnet (laughs) That's what happened to punk rock in our house It became formal poetry
0: That's a that's a renegade move. That's great. I can see you're gonna make this road trip film. I just know it's gonna happen. Um, so so Simon, this is so this is very rooted in in place again, yeah. like what we started talking about at the top of the the program. Um, and you also have another poem in there where it seems like it's an ode to the ladies of the coffee shop where you yeah. might have written when you were that young yeah, that's young right. man
1: yeah yeah i mean um, is
0: there a pressure to write from from this place
1: no, I don't think there's any pressure of time. I've always been somebody who's just written poems out of what stands right in front of me. And, you know, because these things are in front of me most of the time, that's what I do. I've got a very early poem called It Ain't What You Do, It's What It Does To You, which is it's a sort of manifesto poem, really, that um, states in very kind of clear terms that you don't have to have had um, exotic or sophisticated life experiences to write or to be entitled to write poems you you can you can find um miracle and extraordinary happenings in the everyday in the commonplace and you know that's that's I, I guess there's a you know a, a political aspect to that. And that coffee shop that you're talking about is, is a, a shop that's local to my town and um they they used to let us sit in there and write our poems without moving us on and that was about as Bohemian as we could get in that town. <laughs>
0: It does sound great. You make this great move in it where suddenly they become, they're workers that are kind to you. And then they're like, oh, but what is underneath? Like yeah. wondering, like, are you a calendar girl? And then yeah. July is, you know, mopping something out with
1: yeah cloth. Yeah, and, and they're curious about me as well. You know, sitting there uh, so many years later, um, uh, suspicious of why I've gone back in there. <sighs>
0: Oh, you mean you went? You actually went back in to, to, to finish the poem. Well, There's I a, I I, idea.
1: I still go in. It's uh, <laughs> it's still a, it's still an interesting um, it's still an interesting cafe. In fact, the local paper um, got hold of the fact that I'd written uh, this poem. But it's called the Merry England. It's like a you know ye oldie worldy coffee shoppy, and uh, <laughs> they said to me, "What is that? What is the chance of you going in there, and uh, we'll we'll surround you with the women who work there and, and, and taking your picture." what's the chance of that I said absolutely no chance whatsoever
0: <laughs> shy of the photo op
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: oh well um and, and you're also I feel like there's so much to try and squeeze into this half hour Simon we're just skirting along the surface of that river Con. right um so you're translating as well um was that just a natural progression of your the poetic because you said every tentacle comes back to the po- so could you yeah. talk about the translation that well,
1: you've done? Uh, you're pr- you're probably referring to uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Um, there's all kinds of reasons for wanting to do that. It's it's set in a part of the world not far from where I live. Um, it's become the plaything of academics, and you know who make um, very necessary literal restorations of the original poem, but they're not interested in poetry necessarily, where, whereas I am. And I also think that there comes a time in in your well there has come a time in my writing life where I've been writing shortish lyric poems for um you know fifteen years plus and you start wanting your voice to go off in a different direction and I think one of the ways of doing that is to blend it with another voice, a voice from the past you know one of one of your ancestors in in this case uh you know somebody from about fourteen hundred and 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 what you achieve there is kind of hybrid voice that that then gives you possibilities for your own work.
0: And it's also, it seems like you've chosen something that's a myth, a heroic figure for Britain. And in some cases, it seems like maybe that's it's a time to look for more heroes. But that sounds cheesy. I don't mean it like it sounds. But the,
1: the interesting thing about Gawain um, is that the, what he does and the quest he goes on uh, and the challenge he sets himself he does for himself he, d- he does to prove something to himself as a person he doesn't do it for the glory he doesn't do it for the girl and he doesn't do it for the treasure uh, it, it's about his own self-esteem and i think that's um, a sort of valid journey for people to be making in life and um, I, I i even though he's kind of foolish and naive at moments in the poem i admire his um, that you know of the way he's trying to be honorable to his ambitions for, for, for no purpose other than his his own self sense of worth.
0: Is that somehow you, how you might also be, are you drawn to that story? Because that's maybe how choosing a life as a poet in some ways in this time it might be for you as well.
1: Yeah, I think I think so. I, I think I think uh, Gawain's journey um, can be interpreted uh, as as the journey of a, of a writer, and um, you know the the, the the obstacles that he overcomes and the pitfalls that he you know slides into um, might be worth bearing in mind for any poet setting off on that trek uh, across the great landscape of verse.
0: <laughs> Have you said that before, Simon? No. <laughs> no.
1: Did I, did it trip Did it trip off the tongue a little too fluently? <laughs> <laughs> Quick, write it down so I can use it again.
0: Okay, well we can we can play it back later. Okay. We can we can sort that out. I love how, um, but things that have been written about you. It said his muscular de- oh, about this actual translation, um, Sarah going, His muscular deployment of alliterative rhythms and appealing contemporary language, including British slang. Breathes fresh life into a classic you know i thought that was kind of funny appealing contemporary language as opposed to unappealing probably. yeah yes
1: <laughs> good I'm word sure, sure there have been some of those reviews <laughs> we tend not to put those on the back of the book now.
0: Exactly. well anyway the muscular deployment is pretty good um and so, yeah, I just think it's 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 been quite a challenge to try and figure out what to... We're going to go out on something, that other aspect of your life, the music part that you said has occupied you since birth. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know what Alex has queued up for us, but a little piece of your band, The Scare Mongers. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, Let's see. Are there any like what are current projects that you? Because we only have a couple minutes left yeah. that you're you're working on that we could look for. Or
1: I've just finished um, writing on a film, uh, which I think will be called Climate of Change, uh, which has been budgeted for by Participant. Uh, they're an American film company, and it's it's a poem about uh, people setting up various environmental and conservation projects across the world, and that's going to be a cinema film. I'm not sure when it will be out, but um, that. That's that's been sort of occupying me for the last four or five months. Yeah. And
0: and when you say you've been writing for yeah. it, is it all like the the lyrics, the po- poems, or and how is it yeah. different than writing what you want when you have some it's almost being commissioned yeah then. it has
1: been commissioned yeah it's what they call in my contract poetic linking material oh, um, of course they call it something like that yeah it's 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 the voice of the film really um, and it's it's both sort of observation and, and, and commentary and stands slightly above and beyond what you're actually watching hmm.
0: <laughs> so many aspects of the it seems so like so many you,
1: aspects so little time yes
0: I know <laughs> You have to come back, Simon, yeah. or maybe we can use Skype and talk from across the pond. Yeah. Perhaps. Thank you so much for being on Living Readers today, and um, and like we like we were mentioning earlier, if you are listening, if you're driving, turn the car towards Rackham and go to the amphitheater because um, Simon Armitage will be reading um, new work. Um, he's got a great, uh, a huge black book there to bring on stage, and also from his book that you can pick up, uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex. Versus the corduroy kid um, out just this year with Knopf. Um, Thanks for listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel again. Thanks to Simon Armitage. Um, Thanks to Alex Sergey. We're going out with a song by the (laughs) Scaremongers.
1: So it all went to pot girl When you talk to the shop girl About why Rolls Royces and mobile disco vans And you open the page girl Full of page boys and cakes girl And honeymoon retreats and wedding dress meringues So let the disco play Girl Shannon's run away then pictures to look in that inside a wine glass photograph. Someday soon we'll live as one, but something tells you something's wrong. I'm a nodding dog, but God, I'm not fooling anyone.
0: Good afternoon. You're listening to the Living Writer Show. My name is T Hetzel and today I'm thrilled. To have in the studio, Gary Snyder. <laughs> Welcome, Gary.
2: Hi, T. Glad to be here.
0: Th- thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. Um, well. Uh, you're here in town for the—this is a pre-taped interview, um, and, and Gary's here in town uh, to celebrate the, the the life and work of Carl Port, uh, Shaman Drum's uh, in, intrepid owner and bookman extraordinaire.
2: That's right, and an old friend.
0: And an old friend.
2: Uh, to me, and I've been to Shaman Drum bookstore four or five times in the past mm. with various books of mine as they came out. Uh, for book signings, uh, but I met Carl even before he had the bookstore. How, how did you meet him, Oh, Gary? up in Flint, Michigan, oh, in uh, Flint. when he was living up there and teaching up there.
0: And why were you there? I, uh, I didn't to, see that in your biography that no, I was there's reading. there's a
2: lot of things that are in my biography.
0: <laughs> I was thinking that, but it's chock full already, but, uh, but his
2: But I was interested in his father's work as a collector of Plains Indian uh, artifacts, uh, and uh, his father actually was away that week when I was there, those days, but I got to meet him and his brother uh, and uh, some other um, suspect characters from around Michigan, and we had a great time. And then, <laughs>
0: Do you want to name those suspect <laughs> characters? It always sounds interesting. Yeah, David
2: Robbins uh, and Russell Gregory. Not, not, not that you necessarily know who they are,
0: but that's just. But some that's people, just me, well, yeah, that, yeah listeners, yeah, yeah listeners, yeah. well, well. Before we go any further, I wanted to do this very traditional thing of just reading a blurb off of your, one of your books sure. to locate people. Um, so, so here I'm, I'm holding uh, Gary Snyder's uh, latest book of essays from no- North Point Press, um, "Back on the Fire." Uh, let's see, and without further ado. Gary Snyder is the author of 16 collections of poetry and prose, winner of the Pulitzer Prize in 1975, and a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award in 1992 and 2005. He's been awarded the Bollinger Poetry Prize, the Robert Kirsch Lifetime Achievement Award, and the 2004 Japanese Masoka Shiki International Haiku Grand Prize. He has lived in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada since 1970 which sounds actually absolutely beautiful, um, the foothills. I, I was reading that uh, it, your house is named Kit-Kidizzi. Am I pronouncing that? That's
2: right, that? Kit-Kidizzi. It's named after a little ground uh, plant that grows in the Sierra Nevada, quite quite widely dispersed, and uh, it's one of the few places in the world it grows.
0: So it's very particular to it. Just It's a th-
2: very particular, and, and yet ubiquitous little ground cover.
0: What's it, what's it look like? Well, it, I it's love got, its, its name. Got,
2: it's got a highly um, highly divided, uh, tiny, glabrous leaves and a, uh, a strong uh, chemical odor, which is to chase uh, insects away, and little uh, white flowers when it blooms. And it's a member of the rose family, rosacea, yeah.
0: Oh, how And why did you pick that as the name of your home? Because it's
2: around the place.
0: Oh. Okay. Very also, thinning. I like the name. It's, a,
2: the, uh, it's called Mountain Misery in English, uh. Uh, but the uh, Kit Kit Dizzy, the Wintu name for it.
0: Is the what? Wintu. Is that, is that a, a native it's population? one of the native, uh,
2: oh. of the native populations inside in California.
0: That sounds so much better than <laughs> than anything with misery in it.
2: That seems. Oh, well, it's got other names. Bear clover. That's another one. So, weed is another one.
0: It's not many people who who have uh, a home with this many aliases as you have.
2: <laughs> oh, I'm sure if people will look at it, they'll see that they have lots of aliases on the popular names of the plants around their place. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you don't have a corner on the market. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, well, when I was reading through your biography, Gary... Um, which is probably a phrase that sends chills up and down your spine. Well, like, my biography Great. hasn't been
2: written yet, so it's okay.
0: Okay. Well, the chronology in the back yeah. of um, one of one of the uh, the, the Gary Snyder reader, oh, yeah. poetry and translations, there, yeah. that chronology was very helpful yeah. and illuminating. Um, and so you, so you were born in San Francisco and then right. moved to the Northwest. My parents
2: moved to the Northwest, yeah. And took you. <laughs> right. They didn't forget me.
0: Because I, I loved how you, you sort of, your whole life of have moved up and down. Well,
2: I'm a West Coast person. Yeah, there's nothing strange about that. There are a lot of West Coast people. Yeah, And on the West Coast, we move from Vancouver, British Columbia, to Tijuana, Mexico. Yeah, That's our country. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Your path, the path up and down. Yeah, up and down. Uh,
2: Highway 99, that was the old (laughs) highway.
0: I love 99, although in Seattle, it's a bit dodgy right now. Well, now now it's (laughs) I-5.
2: But it was 99 when I was a young man. Mm. Mm. I-5 came in about in the 60s.
0: I, I yeah. And I love in your poems, or, or actually, I think it was in an essay of yours, you just referred to it as The Five, which is how people talk about it, you know.
2: But it was just nice to see Yeah, or to the 80 that. or the 297. I mean, right. That's the way everybody talks about the freeways out west. Yeah.
0: Some some people uh, listen to this program out in Seattle, so they're yeah. probably smiling right now. <laughs> well, hopefully. I don't know. Well,
2: you know, Seattle has some of the worst gridlock of any city in the United States now.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah, it's really bad. It's because of... of uh, you know, trying to go through the middle of town on the freeway, that just did not space for it. Right, right. And so you take the alternative route and you go around the east side of Lake Washington. Hmm. Four twenty-five. But, but that is still terribly crowded. You know, the northwest is going down the tubes, just like every place else.
0: <laughs> okay, don't say that, Gary. <laughs> if you say it, I don't. I I always think of you as someone who has this this great hope about you, <laughs> uh, except for, you know, that, you know what, that's probably untrue because you have to have an understanding of what is going to be lost to be such a, a conservationist.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
0: And, and, you, and but
2: I, you don't have to be a, an eccentric West Coast poet to realize okay. that the whole nation is suffering from good luck mm. uh, uh, and sprawl. Uh, and uh, not to mention all the other bad things that are going on right now. It's 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 a national concern, not just a few of us.
0: Mm. Yes, no. Yeah. I, be- I, yeah, I believe you. I actually lived in Seattle for for a decade. It was a so great town. It,
2: It's yeah. When I was there, it was full of Swedes. <laughs>
0: Still is Ballard. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, and so you—you you just said you called yourself. I believe an eccentric. It doesn't take an eccentric West I was Coast being poet. Ironic. Okay,
2: right. I'm really very normal.
0: Sure. <laughs> well, I hope not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's how we poets keep you off balance. By you—you you have to keep wondering. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> Are they? Um, I—I I love the idea that you sort of. Um, it seems like you decided to at one point leave undergraduate, like lead free college and go um, uh, on a uh, join, become a seaman and get on a ship and start seeing the world. Mm,
2: That was uh, the chronology is a little off there. Uh, Oh, sorry. I did finish Reed. I got my degree and uh, I went to work in the woods on an Indian reservation in Oregon. And then I went to graduate school at Indiana University for uh, uh, a semester in linguistics Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I quit to go out to Berkeley, and I got into graduate school there to study classical Chinese and Japanese uh, for three years
0: and is, and is that when you you met met up with some, like the, the, the beat community
2: uh, toward the end of that well i got I met up with the, the literary and the poetry and the, and the political community of the whole bay Area from 1952 when I first went there on. Very, very strong cultural community, dominated by figures like Kenneth Rexroth and Robert Duncan. Mm. Uh, Allen Ginsberg and Jack Kerouac were latecomers to the scene in 1955, uh, which already was wonderfully developed, and lots of good poets, and lots of good writing, and lots of good musicians, too. So what is called Beat is what they managed to create by being catalysts in an already existing situation.
0: Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, was, thank, you, thank you for uh, pointing Well, you
2: out. know, people don't understand that. I'm, I uh, taught a seminar on that very point a couple of times when I was teaching at UC Davis. Uh,
0: oh, I wish I could have been in that. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could have, too.
2: Uh, <laughs> but um, after that, I went to Japan in 1956. Uh, and then to get a break from uh, Zen monastic training life, I caught a ship, uh, because I had Siemens papers from when I was a teenager, I caught a ship out of uh, Yokohama, and uh, that's when I spent a year uh, sailing around the, the Pacific and, and, and the Indian Ocean on a tanker. So that was quite a bit later. So
0: you were actually, so working, literally working, you weren't as if you were kind of hitching a ride with them. Oh, you no, I was working. I was and in the was engine like room. It was like a regular. Uh, oh. I was
2: in the engine room, yeah. I was a A wiper? A wiper. A wiper. <laughs>
0: That sounds intriguing. So it's a
2: name for a job of an all-purpose worker in the engine room.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. That's okay. the official name for it. Yeah. So, yeah, you can, yeah. You can, it's a little bit of everything. I,
2: maybe 100 years ago, they mostly wiped up oil. But we did a lot of other things now.
0: <laughs> the more glamorous things. <laughs>
2: Not necessarily more glamorous. A lot of plumbing. You know, working on big lines and big pipes and steam lines and saltwater lines and freshwater lines and hot water lines. and.
0: But that got you from place... Place well, the ship is
2: moving there. all the time that you're doing that, yes. Okay.
0: And w- did, you have, um, did, did you have a, a chance to, um, once you disembarked, to sort of see the places? and? Uh...
2: Well, you know, tankers, oil tankers, uh, are not great in terms of seeing the world. Uh, they have very quick turnaround time in port. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like when we were taking oil on, we went into Rastanura or Abadan, which are along the uh, southern side of the Gulf Coast, on the Iraq side of the Gulf Coast, the the Persian Gulf. Mm -hmm. And uh, we would dock to a a long wooden walkway, maybe a mile long, that came out from the shore. Uh, And so we could barely see land. Nobody got off the ship. And you could completely put on a whole new tanker load of oil in 48 hours they'd fill up the uh, the tanks and then off we would sail we'd never go ashore they didn't want any white seamen ashore looking for alcohol and women
0: i read not some in <laughs>
2: not in in your the, essay sounds not in like in Saudi Arabia people
0: were being sort of sho- having shocking behavior i think you might have written a letter to philip well, Whalen. That, that's and it's true you know in such... places
2: like like sicily you can have shocking behavior
0: right right
2: but not in the in the persian gulf no
0: <laughs> so so was this a time when you were so 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 you weren't sightseeing were you did you did you have a chance to write a lot when you were while a you were bit. a wiper
2: i wrote a few poems yeah mm-hmm. and i i kept uh, extensive journals Okay.
0: Yeah. It seems like you're someone who, who has always said yes to the experiences of life. That's what, just from reading the chronology.
2: Well, you can't afford to say you won't take a job on the ship if they offer it to you, when what you want to do is get on a ship.
0: Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I wish that were still possible. I don't know if that's something. No, it's not really um,
2: possible anymore, because the United States no longer has much of a merchant marine. mm. Uh, It's. uh, the merchant ships of the world are uh, under other flags, like Liberian flags and uh, Greek flags and indian flags and
0: so i'd have to become an expat to become sort of a seaman well
2: you're if you're if you're an officer if you 've got officer ratings, mm-hmm. you can work on any of those ships mm-hmm. yeah That's generally on all those ships, you know the officers are all either Americans or British or Czech or something like that. And the working guys are, you know, they're from the third world, 100 percent. You know, so that's the way it works out there.
0: You know, you mentioned Merchant Marine yeah. uh, in passing. Have you ever been to the the bar Specs across from City Lights Bookshop? Because that, that, I think he was a, what a did, merchant. What did it used to be? I'm I, this. I don't. It has like a mongoose and a cobra, and he. It's that must have been another an bar when I was there. Really? It was, okay. It looks
2: like it. It was probably a lesbian bar called Miss Smith's Tea House.
0: Maybe it was. Now yeah. it's a Merchant Marine
2: bar. Oh, there isn't any Merchant Marine anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, well, um, well. So, but it seems like you, you've with with life. It's as if when I was thinking about and And correct me if i'm I'm completely mistaken, of course. But with your work, with your writing, with with your pursuit of like a spiritual spiritual um component in your life, um, uh, and and your work in general, all of this is 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 connected without the way you write, the way you live, your spirituality. It seems like it's so interconnected that there are there are no divisions between it. Do you think? and and so you're was that fair to say?
2: I just try to live my life, that's all.
0: <laughs> and I'm trying to make grand statements about it, apparently. Oh, oh dear. Um, yeah. Do you ever, but by saying, by living so much of this life and having, accumulating these experiences and, and putting travel as, as, as a priority, it seems like, in your travel
2: life? Travel was a, a, never a priority for me, but it was uh, a means. A means. Uh, a means to get from uh, the West Coast to Japan. Or a means to earn some money, travel around the Pacific a little bit, and then uh, uh, end up on the West Coast again. Yeah, that's a means, you know.
0: A means. I don't
2: travel just for uh, idle purposes. Uh, and actually, I'm, I'm much more interested, and in, I've done uh, a lot of writing about the necessity to find a place and to settle into a place and be there.
0: Let's, let's come back to that, Gary. We're going to take a short break. Okay. And... Let's come back and talk about that. You're listening to Living Writers' Gary Snyder. If you're just joining us, you're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor, and today on Living Writers, Gary Snyder is in the house. Um, well, uh, well, Gary. So, so uh, here I was trying to talk about uh, travel mm. and and saying yes to the world, and <laughs> and you said. Instead, that it's a you're stressing the importance of place, which is, I guess, going back to Kit Kaddysi. Can you talk about the importance of place, finding your place?
2: Well, normal people come from somewhere, uh, worldwide, and uh, you know, in terms of the overwhelming Homo sapiens experience of the last 25 or 30,000 years, just to take a a short figure, uh, people have intimately known a local landscape, and that's what enabled uh, human beings to have so much diverse and effective agriculture, uh, where uh, the species of the plants are adapted because of lots of experimentation to a number of different habitats and a lot of different climates, Uh, and uh, human beings being very handy uh, kinds of critters have managed to find a way to do this everywhere, from the Arctic to the rainforest jungle. Uh, so that's all part of knowing place and being in place. Uh, and this is something that has has been lost in the last couple of centuries in some parts of the world. Uh, so that um, there are a lot of people now who don't know where they come from, mm-hmm. don't know who their uh, where their grandparents are buried, uh, or their great or their great parents great-grandparents might have been born. There's no family history left. Uh, This is particularly true of Australia and the United States. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, I think that there's a definite connection between that alienation with our inability to take proper care of the land. Uh, And so uh, I like to say sometimes all of America is homeless. Uh, And one of the things we've got to do is... is, uh, decide to be born again mm. as uh, members of the North American continent. Uh, that and, sounds uh, like
0: a great idea, because yeah, people and are get so work disconnected. get to
2: properly taking care of it, Yes. instead of just trying to make a buck off of it and then move on.
0: Because mm. where are we going to move to, right?
2: Yeah, not uh, the moon.
0: No. <laughs> and, and then, you know,
2: there's a, uh, an optimistic turn in that is this interest in local food. Uh, and this growing interest in uh, paying attention to the locality and taking care of the little local creek and watershed, and uh, learning the names of the local birds and being aware of when they come back in the middle of March, usually, and so forth.
0: Especially for poets, when you say, "I know you're no, saying this, it's I'm for not all talking human about beings, poets. right?" No, I do know that. I, I, do I don't.
2: Know. I don't give a fig for poets. <laughs> You know, I don't write poetry for other poets. Right. I write poetry for for human people. Beings.
0: Right for people. Right. No, I knew I did understand that that was your i i and I'm with you, Gary. I you're, I understand. You're, you're,
2: the back of your mind is still in the creative writing class, though.
0: <laughs> oh no, let's hope not.
2: <laughs> oh, no,
0: God, that you know, I will think about that. I yeah. hope not. But um, but I guess what, but I, but I am wondering if. I just think it is interesting, like to have a sense of connection to place, um, in order to even to to get the writing done. Like I know you're speaking as to human beings, yeah, I'm and not in your work about, I'm and, not talking about getting yeah.
2: writing done. Yeah. I'm talking about living a sane human life, mm.
0: a, a real one where you're not in pieces yeah, and, in your and, own self, and being self.
2: able to communicate some useful information to your children mm. as you go along. Yeah. Mm. Now, having said that. You know, and having lived in cultures where people do come from places like in Japan, I lived in Japan for 10 years, uh, that doesn't stop you from going on trips. But when you go on a trip, you know where you came from and you know where you're going back to. That's the difference. Right,
0: and you and you do carry it with you, too. You you uh, have well, a sense of something uh, different. You, oh,
2: absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I was uh, uh, hiking up a trail in, in Nepal about 25 years ago uh, outside of Kathmandu, and— um, uh, I came on a little yard. I mean, the, the villages and the, town and the houses and the farms up there have no roads. They're all walking paths. So I walked right past the path, and I saw that the, the way the guy was milking the cow. So I opened the gate, stepped over a fence, and walked up to him to look at how he was doing it and sort of helped him move the cow around. And we didn't speak the same languages, but he looked at me, and he knew right away I knew cows. <laughs> that's because I that's because I grew up on a little dairy farm. Yes. And, and I did hand milking.
0: And how and so how curious so you helped you helped him cuz he was having a, a trouble with I, the cow. I don't remember
2: exactly what it was. The cow, the cow was kicking or something. And it's, you know, it's just behavior, but it, it helps to have an extra person there for a minute.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. And Nepal, who would have ever, you know, thought, you know, walking oh, along Nepal in Nepal? Does, Nepal does there's... a lot
2: with uh, cows and yaks, too. They get yak oh, yeah. milk. Yaks are a member of the uh, cow family, and they give milk, and they make cheese out of yak milk. And...
0: I love the idea of yaks, even. Like, I've never seen one, but uh, except, you know, on pictures. But, yeah, the they're, yak. are nice little animals.
2: They're very gentle. And uh, they're smaller than cows. That's what, they're not so huge. I thought they were big. Yeah. They're not big. Maybe there are some big ones, but the ones that I saw in Nepal were fairly small. Huh. All different color coats, and uh, they load them up with loads and go places with them. But then, uh, and the yaks can graze on the very steep slopes, and then they also milk them, but they don't give them very much milk.
0: Oh, yeah, better, better. And, and everything for that. <laughs> is
2: made either into yogurt or cheese. Do you know why?
0: Mm-mm.
2: No refrigerators.
0: Huh. This is just. I'm learning everything today, <laughs> and I want to see more of the world. But I also want to have a, a place that I feel like you you found in at the, the 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 base of the Sierra Nevada. Well, I Nevada's. grew up
2: I grew up on a farm, and so I I got a sense of this is you know where you start.
0: I love how you said that at 19 you you felt like you were a, a conservationist because that's when you wrote your first letter to, to Congress about, I think, a forest. Is it was
2: it? A, a logging uh, proposal for the Olympic National Forest. Yeah. And uh, my uncles, uh, my father's brothers were all loggers. So I knew, and, and actually I worked alongside of my father with uh, the two-man saw. and We did a certain amount of logging on our own land up there. So I knew what was involved in it. Uh, But also I came to like uh, old forests. Uh, Well, it's kind of a balance. I'm still doing that, Mm. still taking care of the forest. Yes. You know, and still deciding sometimes what to cut down. Uh, and where I am now yeah, on
0: your own on your land yeah, surrounding,
2: also can. involved in local community work with the Bureau of Land Management mm. and the Tahoe National Forest uh, in their uh, uh, land management decisions. Uh, you know, going in as a person with a certain amount of forestry knowledge and also a certain amount of timber industry knowledge. Yeah. You know.
0: You've got a lot of knowledge. <laughs> is, that's my brilliant statement for the for the program. But, hey, you know, but,
2: there's nothing wrong with knowing a lot.
0: Oh, I, yes, and, yeah, and this, not, and also actually knowing it, not knowing where to find it, because in our today's society, it seems like we rely less on memory. Well, you than know, knowing you, where you can go in, for in the United States, right? you
2: could be a multi-multi billionaire, and everybody thinks that's great. And if you have uh, uh, thousands and thousands of private property, ranch land, they think, well, he deserves it, he, or he made that money. Right. And it's great to be rich. So, you know, you never get any uh, flack for being super wealthy, mm. but you do get flack for be- for knowing a lot. Oh, that's so elite.
0: Oh right. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. All right. I wish
2: that they would give a knowledge of the same kind of territory to exist in as they give money.
0: Yes. <laughs> wouldn't that be a different That'd world? Be that would be wouldn't be yeah. nice. <laughs> like, I wanted to just ask you this 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 one um, question going back to um, a a letter you wrote, wrote to Philip Whalen in um, 1960? Yeah. Okay, I know you're like, where is she dredging this up from? But I thought it was interesting just to talk about the, the way of your working, your writing um, for a moment. Because um, you said in the letter that you're working on a long poem, that the conception of it was exciting, but it's too intellectual still. Um, and then you, you went on to say, I think that I work as a sort of, um, in an, a sort of overall intellectual structure, and then there's a sort of forgetting it, for a long time and then beginning to fairly spontaneously write into it again. And I wondered, is that something that, it? maybe you can't even answer this, but is that a way of writing and being that you kind of feel like is something that you kept true?
2: Actually, I've, I've, uh, in many cases, I've continued to work that way. Uh, and uh, actually, is the way lots of people work. Uh, including, like, in the agencies and in uh, science, uh, you're going to you have a new project coming up. Maybe you by yourself, or maybe with two or three people. You're going to be you're going to be the project committee. Okay, what's the first thing they say you should do? They say go over the literature, reread uh, uh, everything that has been written on this topic, uh, and reconsider it, and then go on to the next step. Uh, so sur- the survey of the literature, uh, which could be in science or in the humanities or in history, is the first step.
0: But I, I was thinking, mm-hmm. even with this idea, because you said you were involved in a long poem, and uh, for some reason, I was, mm-hmm. I was thinking it might have been what became your ambitious, like the the mountains and rivers without mm-hmm. end. Is, is that That's what right. you think you were... I
2: was speaking in terms of mountains and rivers when I wrote that to Philip. Okay. Yeah.
0: Because I thought it was so interesting that uh, the six sections were published in 65, mm. mm-hmm. and then in, and it wasn't until 96 when the mm. project kind of reached what you felt was its... Right. Con- what, what's that like to work in something for that long intensely? Uh, uh, this.
2: You have to be organized. You have to have some file drawers. Uh, you have to be able to keep track of where the different papers from the different periods are, and you have to divide your projects up and give them names, uh, and be able to shift working from one project to the other project and back. Uh, right, because other
0: things you had other things coming and of out in essays. Doing other and, oh, yeah, uh,
2: I was right, I, I published fourteen books of poetry while I was working on that.
0: Why do you feel like it's the the most? Imbi- Is it because it took the longest? It was something that you stayed with it was more, the longest, it was more or difficult? The cons- or the concept... What was?
2: Mountains and rivers without But, end.
0: but what do you mean by that? Like, the...
2: uh, uh, like a complicated game as against a simple game. Uh, like many parts, uh, many connections, and uh, a certain amount of uh, information required that uh, um, you, ha- you had to go look up to make sure you had it right.
0: What do you mean? Which, what's... Oh, hydro-
2: hydrology,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, weather patterns, weather patterns, global weather patterns, uh, uh, the history of Chinese landscape painting. You know, there's just many elements involved in it. Uh, And, uh, you know, I could have, at a certain point, you have to say, this is enough, I've got to just write this thing. (laughs) But that's not just true in in, uh, creative writing. That's true in scholarly and intellectual and not even intellectual.
3: Now, Conkle sending out the signals. Setting up outside. The one-two pitch, fastball swing, and a miss. He struck him out. Jim Brower with his 200th career strikeout. He ran the top of the second inning. And Brower is now just the eighth pitcher in Michigan Wolverines baseball history to strike out 200 batters in his career. Howell doing everything he can here to keep the game alive for his team. Eric Feldkamp still working off stretch. Yeah, so since he came on, Jeff Conkle flashes out the sign. Setting up outside, 2-2 pitch, swing and a miss. He struck him out and the ball game is over. Derek Belkamp strikes out Jacob Howell on a 2-2 curveball. The Buckeyes are retired in the ninth. They leave two on. The final score here at Ray Fisher Stadium, the first ever night game played at the pitch. Michigan 11 at Ohio State 3. Hello and welcome to the Daily Sports Report for...